0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be finishing up a um, six month journey that we've traveled from the beginning of Philippians. We started uh, last August and we'll be finishing up this morning. Looking at this last part. How many of you all had a couple memories from some of those songs that we sang this morning? Yeah. And some of those, uh, I, I mean, I'm old enough where I can say, yeah, we used to sing those songs, especially in the little church that I grew up in. We used to sing those quite regularly. We probably sounded a little bit more twangy than y'all did. Uh, we, we probably, um, uh, the first church I ever pastored was in Oklahoma. And uh, uh, Oklahoma makes Georgia look like we're the elite uh, intellectual people. I, I'm not saying that against Oklahomans. I'm just going, it's really kind of Southern there. And so um, quite often, I mean, we had a piano player, Miss Birdie, and she had been playing piano in that church for over 60 years. That's how it was in a country church. And uh, when she played a hymn like that, I guarantee you, every single key uh, on that piano had been touched at some point in time. So brings back a lot of those kind of memories. Greg, again, Praise team, I appreciate you this morning kind of taking us back a little bit, singing some of those songs. Philippians 4 this morning. As we complete this journey, as we come to the end of Philippians, uh, we see that this journey is applicable to real life. It does have theology, like most of Paul's writings. He starts with theology, remember, and then he gets very practical. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the practicality of theology that is that when we live out these truths that have been presented in God's word they have a real place in our lives so it's not just for us to kind of say okay i have this mental assent of this or you know theoretically this is true now theology is the foundation guys by which we build practical living and that was God's expectation that he would take all these things that he's done for us in Christ Jesus and that they would come through the way that we live, the way that we thought, the way that we would make decisions on a regular basis. And so this morning, we we see this application, and we've seen it throughout Philippians, that this is not really a book so much about salvation, but about sanctification. How do we live holy and changed lives? And so as we look at this, we begin to look at uh, how to live this spiritual life in a very physical world. And how to live it with joy. If there was one word that we just kind of took the whole book of Philippians and kind of put it into something and just kind of wrung it out like you would wrung out, wring out a, a rag, what would drop from, uh, you know, Philippians? Well, what would be the drip? The drip would be joy. It's a book about joy. Because when we have life in Christ for all that Christ has done for us, even though we live, as Philippians would say, in a very harsh world, Joy is something that God desires for us to have, independent of the circumstances we find ourselves in. How, how apparent that is that Paul would write this, more than likely from a Roman jail cell. There is some debate that maybe he was in an imprisoned in a house, but he's in prison. He's in prison. He's not just free to go. So whether he was in a, a prison home or whether he was in a jail cell, which is pretty much my belief, uh, we don't have good conditions here. And yet he was able to talk about all this Way to live out in joy and have true peace in our heart and our mind, even amidst very difficult circumstances, because as he bases it today, we're going to see that it's, this is who we are in Christ Jesus. And so, this morning, we're going to look at this last part of the the passage. And uh, all along in this last chapter, especially, we've been dealing with human nature. And last week, if you weren't here, we talked about how we were born discontent. And everybody agreed. Nobody came up after the sermon and said, you know, I I was born in contentment. I've been content all my life. Nobody approached me and no parents approached me and said, you know, my my baby's the the obvious difference. She's always, he's always content. No, we see that our human nature from the very first breath, because we're fallen with this fallen nature, we're born with this fallen nature, that we're born into a discontented nature in a discontent world. And so as we were looking last week, that we saw that joy and contentment are spiritual conditions. If you didn't get anything else out of last week, then contentment is a spiritual condition, not a material condition. It's not just having more of something. Hey, if I had more money, if I had more of this, more hair, whatever it might be, that, you know, I'd be more content. No, it may give you a season, a day, 30 seconds, maybe even a couple months worth of you know, contentment in one sense, on the very surface sense, but it wouldn't be this joy that's part of the soul. And so this is kind of where we pick up this morning. Uh, We go to the place where we begin that this joy, this peace that God's going to give us is going to be independent of circumstances. And guys, the minute I say that, there should be a little bit of pushback from your human nature, not from your soul, but from your human nature. Why? Because we have this nature of discontent. We want to have right situations. We want things to work out in order for us to say that we're joyful or peaceful. And yet the Bible would pitch, uh, paint this very different picture. At youth camp, talking about old songs that we used to sing. How many of y'all can remember this song? We used to sing this when, when Carly and I were at, at youth camp. And uh, I've got the joy. I'm not going to sing for you, okay? You're talking about discontent. <laughs> we would reach that really quickly. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? And we would sing that. And then, you know, the next verse or one of the verses, I've got the peace that passes understanding down on our heart. Where? And we would ask that question, where? And everybody knew, and we would just sing those songs. And, and folks, don't forget the simple truth from that old camp song. Peace, joy, a peace that surpasses understanding, I've got it where? Down in my heart. You know, we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, how the mind is the battlefield and how how constantly we are thinking one way with the old nature and, and now we have kind of been introduced to a new way of thinking through Jesus Christ, through the truth of God's word. Now that the Holy Spirit is in the, the life of the Christian. And, and so this battleground in the mind is how do we think rightly? But eventually, we see that very much the mind does connect to the heart. You can say chicken or the egg, which one leads the other? Does the heart lead the the mind? Does the mind lead the heart? I think it's so discombobulated as far as knowing which one is the first. I think some of it has to do with our personalities because some of us are very emotionally driven. And so our emotions may drive our thinking. Other people are very literal thinking, very kind of systematic and linear in the way that they think. And so maybe their thinking leads to their feelings. But are they connected? Yes. That would be one of those undeniable truths this morning. That the mind and the heart. In old Jewish writing, in the Old Testament, they linked them together. And they knew the important connection between those two. And this morning, we're going to see that in order to have joy and peace, no matter what the circumstances, that it is a mind thing, but it very much is a mind thing based on truth that then goes deep deep into our, uh, our very souls. So that we can sing authentically. I've got the joy, joy, joy where down in my heart. Philippians 4, 14 through 16. Paul's just being pretty technical here. He's thanking people for their support. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except for you only. They were long-term partners. They have been with Paul Financially supporting Paul, praying for Paul for many, many years. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul reminds this church of their faithfulness. Here he's written, but some would arguably say the most personal of all the letters that he wrote to Ephesus, to you know, to the uh, the Ephesians, the Philippians, uh, Colossians. If you look at all these different ones that he would write, Galatians that this is the most personal, that he had a love for them. It's not that he didn't love the others, but he had a deep love for them. Why? Because they had a long relationship together. And so he reminds them of this. And he reminds them that even sometimes when it was under the threat of life, this last gift that he had, the man who uh, brought that, Epaphroditus, a, a uh, almost lost his life in delivering this support for Paul. So Paul's appreciative. Paul, knowing that he's near the end of his life, not knowing how many days he has left, he says, I just want you to know, as I finish this letter to you, I love you. We saw that in the very beginning, chapter one, first verses. He said, I thank you. I'm really appreciative. You've been there through the thick and the thin, the high days, the good days, the challenging days. You've been there. Now look what happens so Paul reminds them of this godly truth, verse 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's not being unthankful, but he says, you know, I didn't really ask for it. I'm glad that you did support me. I'm glad that you've always been there for me. But, but I don't say that out of need. This is not a TV evangelist saying, please support the ministry. Or we're going to go under, or please support the ministry so I can get a little your jet. This is not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that, you know, not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, what is he saying by that? He said, I know my God, and my God is going to bless you for blessing me and involving yourself in the ministry that we've had. Look what he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, verse 17, he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul very much believed in the truth that God blesses giving. One of the things that we first learned as pastors is, Okay, be very careful whenever you preach on giving of any sort. I I think that's foolishness. You preach it when it comes up in the Word. I don't think you have to preach that outside of, you know, if you're just going through Philippians, if the Philippians addresses it, you address it. Guys, I'm kind of like Paul. I would never withhold from you something that I believe that God really blesses. And yet, I've been here seven years now. How many sermons on giving have you heard me, for those that have been here the seven years? Zero. Because it just had, you know, maybe indirectly, but it's never come up in the words. We're, we're not going to do it. And yet, I tell you today that because of your faithfulness, because of your giving to the ministry, we are doing exceedingly well. And so Paul would say, I hope that you're doing exceedingly well. That's what he means. You know, and, but, but please don't hear, okay... There's a slight form of this that is being preached today that says, okay, you give a dollar, God's going to give you a $1,000. We don't find that in the Word, guys. We're going to see that a little bit later on. But Paul says, look, you have given sacrificially, and I want you to know that I really do believe that God will take care of your needs. And that's why he said, I want it to be to your credit. Is it a tithing sermon? No, it's just a thankfulness because he's found people that are faithful. Is this a tithing sermon this morning? No. But I want to thank you on behalf of Cornerstone Church and the elders and the leadership. You've been faithful. This principle is real, guys. You live sparingly. Sometimes the fruit is going to be sparingly. The blessing is going to be sparingly. Well, Bobby, are you preaching prosperity? No, I'm preaching biblical truth here. That's what God just said. Now, is it always going to come back in finances? No, just because you give this, there's not a formula that you said, okay, if God will give a $1,000 for every $1, then I'm going to give $10 and hopefully get $10,000. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that. What we see is God is a gracious giver and he loves cheerful givers. In other words, cheerful givers, why? Because it has this many zeros or this amount on it? No, because it came from the heart. Out of all the givers in the ministry of Jesus Christ, who did? <coughs> excuse me. Who did Jesus Christ said she gave more than anybody else. Yeah, and yet what she gave, if we translate into today's giving, would not even be like a cent. And yet he said because of her heart, because of her sacrifice. So this is the motto of God, and Paul is thinking them here, not so that okay. If I write them a really nice letter, maybe they'll send even more. What does he say? I have more than enough. I'm well supplied. He's not asking for more. He's giving things, and he's trying to teach them about even in this very practical area of finances or money or the, the charity of our heart, that God's principles are true. At some point in time, In your life, I I hope that you and I hope that I learn that we cannot outgive God. I, I hope if you're young, I hope that if you're a young Mary, I hope you learn that in your 20s. If you haven't learned that in your 50s and 60s, I pray before you take that last breath and cross that river and some of those things that we talked about in those last stanzas of some of those songs, that you would learn that because it's a beautiful truth. And it really has nothing to do with dollars and cents. It has everything to do with a gracious God and a heart that he's given us to respond to his grace. And some, one of the ways, one of the ways that we do that is just the giving of our lives and all that we have. It's not just finances, but that's one of the ways. And so I'm never going to shy away from that because I truly believe that God said that there's blessing and giving. Why would I want to withhold blessing from you if I truly believe that that was a biblical principle, and so so we see that here, and that's what he's doing here. He describes himself in verse eighteen as being well supplied. He's not saying, "But if I had a Learjet, I could actually go to five different places." And guys, I'm not trying to make fun of some of the local or some of the, the um, evangelists of the day, but I do want to show, and I do want to state that I don't believe that that's biblical. I'm not saying that if somebody has a Learjet that they're out of the will of God. I'm just going... It's hard for me to grasp about increasing personal gain as a minister in all these different ways when there's so much need of people around us. It just doesn't make... It doesn't line up with the gospel as much. And so... Look at the next verse because this is really where we're going to center this morning. Uh and any anytime that I tell Carly it's gonna be a short sermon, she she says, Oh no. Because that and she's usually right that that turns into be a longer one, but this is kind of a short sermon. Um but the focus is verse nineteen. Look what he says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus in Christ Jesus. The context of this verse is so important. What's the first word in at least the ESV? And. And some of you may have a translation that says but. Others may have another, but it's a connecting word and what does it connect it with? What's already been said. Paul's thanking the church. Thank you for your, for your gracious gifts. Thank you for blessing the ministry and I pray that God blesses you and gives credit to you not to earn salvation. We can never give to God and earn our salvation. Only Christ could do that. But, but there is blessings of just being a faithful people. And so he, he wants them to be blessed. And now he shares with them this truth and he connects it by this word and. It puts it in the context. What is he saying? Because you gave and because you've been faithful, I know that God's going to take care of you. With abundance? No, he's going to take care of every need. It really is a direct correlation. And yet, this is another one of those verses that we're tempted to take out of context and think of that God's just writing us a blank check. You know, well, my God. you know, He's going to supply every, do we really want to say need? Or just supply everything? Paul connects this promise with the previous verses. He connects the Philippians' gracious giving to the promise of meeting their needs. Uh, There's no promise of earthly riches. There's no promise and guarantee of fancy cars or earthly mansions. But it's the promise that God will supply every need physical in nature. And look at the end. According to his riches in Christ Jesus. More the spiritual nature. A tough question this morning. Do you think God is more concerned about your physical nature or your spiritual nature? That's a tough one because we're living in a very physical world. We have physical bodies. He's the one that's given us the physical bodies, but he's also given us a spiritual nature. It's what makes us different from all the rest of the creation is that we have a soul and we have a spirit. And, and so this identifier that he's given us, being made in the image of God, brings a whole different way of thinking to us. You know, I told you last week. My dog doesn't think of eternity. You know, if my dog was here this morning, he would have, you know, kind of barked at the end of one of those, going "Amen." One day when I cross that river, why? Because he doesn't have a soul. Now I know that's offensive to many of you. Who are going? Well, my dog does, <laughs> and I realize your love for your pets and all those kind of things. And and I, I foolishly said years and years and years ago that all dogs don't go to heaven. And, oh my goodness, you know, people forgot all the sermons about how a brother or sister, a mother or father or somebody else may not go to heaven if they don't know Christ. They, I've never had anybody ever come to me. But you preach that their dog's not going to go to heaven? Oh my goodness, the emails? I mean, click, 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 click. What What is he saying here? He's not promising earthly prosperity. Is God against earthly prosperity? No, David was one of the richest men in the world. Solomon, the richest man in the world. Job, the richest man in the world in his day. God's not against that, but that's not the basis of spirituality. Question, guys. Could God give everybody here this morning a million dollars? Yeah. I mean, he could be like, like Oprah. And you get a million, and you get a million, and you get a million. Could God do that? He could. But somehow he hasn't. Because he's a stingy God? Because he's a God with empty pockets? Or is he a God who's much more concerned about my spiritual nature than my physical nature? And could God know something about me that I don't even know about myself? Could he know that, Bobby, <laughs> it's hard enough for you to come and, and pray before me every day and be dependent upon me as it is. My goodness, if I gave you a million dollars, who knows the next time that you'd come to me whatsoever for anything. Do you think maybe he knows my nature and perhaps your nature better than we would even know ourselves? He's a good God. He's a gracious God. And the promise here isn't that he's going to give everybody a million dollars. Remember what you said last last week? Contentment is a spiritual condition. Do you think that if he gave everybody a million dollars this morning, that there wouldn't be a little bit of a twinge, just a little bit of a bent? I'd like two million. Now, I know the whole thing. I know the whole thing. I'd like to be the test case, though. Go ahead and give me a million and see if I can't be very spiritual about it. I mean, who hasn't thought that or said that? Could it be that God knows ourselves even better than ourselves? And that a wise and a loving God truly said, I will give you every spiritual blessing, but maybe not every financial blessing or every, you know, blessing just in this human nature. In a, in a physical way. Has there ever been anybody who was good with their money, made a lot of money, and, uh, and found riches, what we would consider riches on this earth, and, and then through discernment and wisdom, Decided not to pass on some of those millions to their children if their children were living irresponsible lives. Do you think that's a possibility? Has that ever happened? Yeah. yeah. Was it because they were stingy? Probably not. It's Because they had discernment, and they had wisdom. And they had love for their child. And they know that that love for the child didn't mean that all of a sudden they would just write them the check. When they've been irresponsible, that... that that maybe they couldn't handle it. If an earthly father, if an earthly mother has that kind of possibility of wisdom, how much more does our Heavenly Father have wisdom? Folks, this really isn't a sermon about tithing, giving, this and there. It involves those things. This is a sermon about finding what we've said the last six weeks. Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough in the most impoverished city in America? Is Jesus enough in the most, you know, wonderful as far as worldly goods and and attractions and and privilege? Is he enough in that place? See, it's really not about dollars and cents. It's not about how many zeros follow this. It's, It's all about the sufficiency of Christ and that's what he's said all along. The promise in verse 19 is actually a conditional promise. It's attached by that word and to what he just applauded them for. He said, you have been faithful in ministry, and and I pray that God will bless you for that and give you credit for that, and and he will supply your every need. And it's a conditional promise. Because you did this, I know my God, and my God's going to supply that need. But here it's connected to their giving in verse 17 and 18. and, And so here's the deal. Philippians 4.19, folks, is not a blank check from God, most likely because He knows how we would fill in the amount. He knows enough about my nature, my human nature, to know where I would be tempted to rely on that rather than on Him. He's a good Father. He's a wise Father. And He's a Father of all blessing. But that blessing is not always going to come out in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's why he gives a peace that surpasses circumstances. This is why he said, okay, I'm, he's going to give us what we need in Christ Jesus. This is not a matter of the checkbook. It's not a matter of a sickness or no sickness. It's, all those things are important. Please do not hear that I'm minimizing any of those things. My mother right now is facing some things, and it's, it's very challenging to the family. And we pray, God, heal her. But but if he doesn't, my God hasn't let me down. This is not my home. This is not her home. Would I want her to be healthy? Yes. Do we want to have enough money to, to meet our needs and pay the bills? Yes. I mean, would we rather sunny side up? But the promise of Christ, folks, is that God deals with our deepest need. And the deepest need, believe it or not, is not how do I fit 90, 100 years of just good times and and blessing and and all this kind of, you know, in the world sense of blessing and abundance into a lifetime. God's concern. It's not what we would consider a long life of 100 years. Not, not, not even a grain of sand on the beaches of the world to eternity. And yet that's hard for you and I to fathom. I did a funeral last week. young man was 70 years old. And that young man, that that widow this morning, wanted 10, 20, 30 more. Who, who would but let's say that we reached a 100. That's a full life. By human standards, yes. God says, it doesn't even begin. it's not even a blink of the eye. So God is not going to always fix everything, give all these things here so that we find a total contentment in material things because he knows it's not a material problem. He said, I'll give you... Contentment in spiritual things. Contentment is a spiritual problem. And the only foundation of solving this is what I did through my son, Jesus Christ. That's that's what he says. Every rich is, all the riches, according to what? In glory in Christ Jesus. Are there riches in glory in Christ Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter two nine, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 1.12, but all to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the, his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Ephesians 2, 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans eight seventeen, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided that we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.6 We now that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we may no longer live enslaved to sin and I could go on and on and on this peace this joy it's real guys but because we have this human nature it does seem fleeting God says it's permanent permanent in the work of Christ. And and yet, the feeling of that, maybe even the knowledge of that in our everyday thinking, we're going to have highs and lows. But I tell you, this is a finished work. This is a finished work. And nothing is going to go tomorrow, next week, or next month to make you more capable than you are even this morning to have peace that surpasses understanding, joy even in the most difficult of situations because of the finished work of Christ if if you are in Christ Jesus. All those verses I read, these are not just kind of, okay, anybody in the world, if you're, if you're human and you breathe, these are, no. When we have placed our trust and our faith in what Christ did to bring us before a holy God, and we place all of our hope and all of our trust to be made right with this holy God in that work of Christ, then all of these are now available to us. That's why Paul continues to use this word. I'm learning. This is why we learn this whole process of sanctification. Justification, boom, it happened. Sanctification. Hopefully growing more and more and more. Day by day. Look at how Paul ends verse 20. To our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ain't that our hope this morning? Well, Esther, is it really that simple? It is because of the work of Christ. It really is. The difficulty does not come from that side. It comes from this side. So I, I really appreciate when Paul says, I'm learning. <laughs> I don't know how Paul, how old Paul was at this point. I just know he's been through a lot, and he says, I have learned to become content. I've learned that every one of these promises have been made, yes and amen, in Christ Jesus. And that's our hope for us this morning, guys. As sojourners, as travelers in this world, that this is not our home. And some are going to have what appears to be great human blessing, others... Lives filled with what we would call human tragedy. And yet Christ has given us the ability, even in tragedy, to have a peace that surpasses understanding, a joy even in the midst of trial. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this is an encouraging book. It's also a challenging book. Father, we we see, (coughs) Father, that there's a part of this that, that really, really believes this with all of our heart. And yet, Father, tomorrow life will happen. If this life is tomorrow is one of blessing, then we will be thankful and we'll say thank you, God. But if it's full of challenge, Father, we are so tempted to ask those three defining questions. God, my, why me? Why this? Why now? Father, thank you that you gave a permanent answer and not a temporary one. And so, Father, when those questions come to our mind, help us not in any way, Father, to to reflect upon that somehow your character, your holiness, your, your love is lacking. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father, for your promise. Thank you for every spiritual blessing. Thank you for material blessings, Father. Thank you for uh, allowing us to, to, to live, really, in comparison to the world, a life of luxury. Father, thank you that you've given us something deeper for that. So that if it all went away tomorrow, Father, we would have the solid rock we would have the work of Christ and your amazing grace. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things. And the one who loved us so, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.